Good almost afternoon, everyone. Uh, great to have you here. My name is Matt. I'm pastor here uh, at Tri-City, and it's great to have you here, especially on this uh, Baptism Sunday. Uh, special Sunday. Things will be a little different than they normally are. Uh, we are going to have our baptisms just at the end part of our gathering time. And uh, that really is, uh, if you're wondering what baptism is all about, it's, it's really an expression of faith. It's an outward picture, really a symbol of someone's uh, faith in Christ. So they are identifying with the the death of Jesus in the water, and then in coming out of the water, they're identifying with his resurrection. And so it really is a beautiful picture of what God has done in them, but it's uh, an external symbol of that. So we're going to do that at the end. Uh, Right now, though, we're going to turn our attention to the Word of God. We do this each Sunday. We just think it's the most helpful thing that we can do is to hear from God through His Word, through the Bible. Uh, If you have one with you, we're going to be in the book of Luke, uh, Luke 6, verses 37 to 42. Uh, If you don't have one or you forgot yours, there are some uh, as you come in on the tables there. You're welcome to grab one of those. Uh, But I'd love to begin with a word of prayer, and then we will uh, turn our attention uh, to the Word. So please join with me. Lord God, thank you for this great Sunday. Thank you for uh, the fact that uh, we have uh, an opportunity to hear from you uh, through your word. I thank you, God, that you uh, revealed yourself to us. I thank you, Lord, that we can know more about ourselves as human beings and and you as God as we read it. I thank you for the pictures uh, of baptism, of of changed lives that we are going to see in just a little bit. And God, I pray for those. I pray for those who are being baptized today, that you would would comfort them, you would strengthen them. Uh, Lord, as they make this step uh, really of faith and obedience, Lord, that they would be blessed in it and that you would be glorified by it. And so help us now, Lord. Help me to speak uh, words that are in accordance with your truth, uh, words that are helpful in spite of my own sin, Lord, words that would be helpful to your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our text this morning uh, is, if you're uh, new here with us to guest, we're just working through the book of Luke. And so the, the, we go passage to passage uh, a little bit each week, and we just happen to be in this passage. That's why we're here. Uh, we're in Luke uh, verses 37 to 42. Uh, but you might find, uh, as I read through it, that there are certain parts of this passage that are uh, familiar. Even if you're not really familiar with the Bible, there are a few verses that are, are kind of some of those verses that people tend to know. Uh, So, for example, verse 37 says, judge not, and you will not be judged. We tend to know that verse. Uh, Verse 41 says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Both of these verses are generally well-known and well-loved. There are go-to responses when we're feeling uh, judged or criticized. We we like to, to know these verses, but like many verses... Uh, in the Bible that we kind of know about generally, uh, when we look at them specifically in the context, like in the passage that they're written, very often the meaning is somewhat different. And that's what we find uh, this morning. And so what I'd like to do is one of our our goals for this morning is to understand these verses rightly, uh, but I'm not just going to take them kind of in isolation. We're going to look at the passage that they're in, and what we find is that they're within a greater answer to a bigger question not just about judgment, but about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Like, what, it, what does it mean to be a Christian? That's what Luke has been telling us, that Jesus himself in this portion is preaching a sermon to a group of people, and he's kind of telling them, hey, this is what it means to be one of my followers. And not surprisingly, uh, something we've seen before is that it has everything to do with our heart. So what I'd like is for us, I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to unpack it. We're starting in verse 37. Uh, If you picture, this is Jesus speaking to a a bunch of people, and he's sort of midway through, and he continues in verse 37 and says this, Judge not, 
and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. That's our text this morning. And we are going to work through it with just two points, both having to do with what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, So firstly, followers of Jesus love with a big heart. And secondly, followers of Jesus lead with a clear heart. So number one, uh, followers of Jesus love with a big heart. Uh, Why do I use that term, big heart? Well, I I think it's because it accurately describes uh, what what we find in the first verse. In verse 37, Jesus is speaking about someone uh, who has a real love for the people around them. Uh, It says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. This is someone with a very magnanimous, generous, giving personality. I'm not sure if you have someone like this in your life, but if you do, you know that they're, they're a joy to be around. Right? They're always welcoming, they're always inviting, always accepting. No matter what's going on in your life or what's, what you're doing, you know that you're supported and loved. People like this uh, are a joy to have in our lives. And part of the problem with this text is that, un- unfortunately, we've, we've tended to make this beautiful sort of full picture of a, a loving person uh, a very, to be very superficial because we've tended to focus on just one aspect of this loving, big-hearted character. Uh, And the part that we focus on is the part that we're most sensitive to, which is judgment. So instead of seeing this as a a call to a greater depth of character or a a greater love for the people around us, we tend to see it as just a specific instruction about judging each other and whether we should or shouldn't do it. Now, I think it's obvious why we do that. Uh, For the most part, we don't love being judged, right? It's not, we don't love it when someone leads with a, you know, here's your problem, Right at, at that point, we tend to we get tense, we get defensive, right? We're not we're not eager for that conversation. In fact, we don't like it when people point out our faults or our shortcomings. We've never liked it as human beings. Uh, if you look at the biblical history of humanity, you'll see right at the beginning, uh, judgment was not high on our list of things that we loved. Uh, Cain and Abel were the the kids of Adam and Eve, and there was much to judge in the life of Cain, but he responded. Uh, kind of, I would say, like our, our teenagers do very often, uh, just with that kind of sullen, uh, grumpy tone. So, so Cain, he killed his brother, and he knew it. God knew it. God came to him looking for his brother, and Cain's response is, what, what am I, am I my brother's keeper? Right? Like, why are you giving me such a hard time? Right? That, that attitude, if you have teenagers, you can imagine kind of a slumped, kind of a, right, just grumpy tone. That's He didn't like God coming to speak to him about this, calling him out. And then when God uh, proclaims judgment upon him, right judgment, his response is this, my punishment is more than I can bear. That's not fair. This This isn't right. That tends to be how we respond. When people point out sin or 
give us a consequence or whatever it is, um, we, we don't love it. We, in fact, one thing that's, I'd say the difference between back then and now is that if, if you look at Cain's response, he didn't love being judged, but he did not question God's right to judge him. He accepted that, that that was who God was, that was his role. But in our day, that's the very thing that we resist, both from God and from the people in our lives, right? We, we don't want to hear it from anyone, from our family, from our friends, and certainly not from God. And so we keep these verses in this text kind of like locked and loaded on our hips, right? So when co- someone comes to try to talk to us, we whip it out. We say, look, you know what the Bible says? You can't judge me, right? Because if you judge me, you're going to be judged. It's, someone, it's in there somewhere. I don't know where, but it's in there. And if they don't listen, we pull out the other one. We say, why don't you take a look at the log in your own eye? Hmm? That's what God wants you to do. Don't worry about my eye. My eye's fine. You worry about your own stuff. And so we, we really push back. That tends to be our disposition. In fact, we have this idea that a loving person, like a good Christian, is someone who only ever approves of everything we do, is only ever encouraging, right? Never wants to say anything bad. We think that is most loving. And There's a couple of problems with that. One of them is that that's not actually what the Bible teaches about judgment and about whether we should should judge each other. Uh, In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. Even the text, even the passage that we're in teaches the opposite. And so what I'd like to do before we go forward is just to answer the question, kind of step aside and answer the question, should we ever judge each other? Like within the church, right? If you're here and you're a Christian, you're wondering how should I interact with people? Should we ever judge each other? Uh, My answer is going to be yes, and I'm going to try to show you why I would come to that conclusion. Uh, Three pieces of evidence. We're going to begin with the passage itself uh, and jump ahead to the last couple of verses. This is the log and speck, uh, verse 41. It says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And it really seems there like the Bible is saying, look, you should worry about yourself. You got enough stuff to worry about. Don't worry about your brother. He'll deal with it himself. But you got to worry about your own sin, your own faults, your own failings. Um, but if we look at why we should do that, things change. Look at verse 42. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. So the whole reason that we're supposed to deal with our log is so that then we can be actually helpful. It's not that we should never judge our friend or someone in our lives or call out sin. It's that we need to do it in the most helpful and clear-sighted way. And so we're going to talk about that more the last part of the sermon. But to begin with now, we simply need to recognize he's not saying don't ever do it. He's saying make sure you do it well. Make sure you do it in the right way, in an attitude of humility. So second piece of evidence, uh, there are some very clear statements in the Bible where it simply says you, you should, in fact, judge others. Here's one. Uh, these are the words of Jesus, John 7, 24. Do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment. So here he's speaking to the Pharisees and he's criticizing them, not because they're judging people, but because they're doing it wrong. They're doing it poorly. They're they're looking at the externals of someone's life and Jesus is saying, no, you should should look at the heart. You need to look at the inside if you're going to judge rightly because that's that's what you should be doing. Third piece of evidence is uh, the life of Jesus himself. If you're interested in following Jesus, you should probably want to know how How did he live? That's probably how I should live also. And what we find in the life of Jesus is that he did tend to judge others. He did, at many times, call out sin in the lives of those people around him. Uh, He did it gently. He did it lovingly. Here's one example. Uh, When he's talking to the woman at the well, there's a woman he gets to know. He's engaging her in dialogue. And at a certain point, he does confront her in her sin. He says, 
uh, in verse 17, you are right in saying, he's speaking to the woman, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. And so what he's doing there is he's speaking to her about the sin in her life, the, the relationship that she has. She's living with a man. It's, it's not according to what God says is best. She's in sin. And because he loves her, he wants her to turn from sin. So it is the most loving thing that he can do is to, to know her in relationship with her, to then call out an area of sin and say, hey, you should, you should not do this. His attitude of heart is, is one of caring for her. And so at, a, at the right time, in the right way, yes, we should judge those around us. But if that's the case, then what do we make of verse 37? Because verse 37 says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Well, within the context of the passage, it's not saying that we should never judge anyone. It's saying that we should never be judgmental. That our attitude of heart should never be judgmental. And I take that because if you look at the next instruction, it says, judge not, but also condemn not. Now, to be condemning means to like proclaim guilt uh, very forcefully, right? To, to be quick to proclaim guilt. And so there's a difference between uh, judging in a loving, caring way, helping people discern right from wrong, and being judgmental. And the difference is that with, with right judgment, you really are caring for the person, but when you're judgmental, you're really doing it for selfish reasons. And if you've had the unfortunate experience of living with someone or being in a relationship with someone who's very judgmental, you, you've seen that. See, judgmental people are, are quick to point out mistakes. They're always on you. They, they know when you're, you haven't measured up and they're quick to point it out. They tend to put things in the worst possible light, right? You didn't do that. That wasn't, that wasn't good, right? You failed again here, right? They are harsh in their tone. They find uh, kind of a twisted pleasure in identifying and calling out sin in others. There's something about that that, gives, that puffs them up. They use the word of God very often like a baton right, to beat down others, to point out where you're wrong. It's never encouraging. It's never uplifting. It's never really for your sake. They're doing it for their own sake. And all of this this judgmental attitude, it reveals their heart. And the heart is hard and it's small. It's focused on themselves. There's no grace for anyone else. To be in a, you know, do life with someone like this, there's a chill in the air. There's a, there's a coldness, a hardness to people like this. And I thought of an illustration that I'm going to have to ask your forgiveness for right away because... I know there are some of you who it really irks you when someone uh, brings out Christmas decorations or analogies early. I'm going to do that, okay? So I just want you to know there's no Christmas lights up on my home yet. But uh, the person that came to mind is a classic infamous character from a uh, Christmas story, and that is Ebenezer Scrooge. And um, just by looking at him, you can tell that he disapproves of all of you, right? All of you are not living up to his standards, Right, And this is the character that we have. And I thought it'd be helpful uh, to read from A Christmas Carol. This is uh, Charles Dickens, because the way he describes Scrooge, I think will ring a bell if you've had someone who's very judgmental in your life. Uh, the imagery is helpful. Here's what it says, uh, page two, right at the beginning of A Christmas Carol. says this, Oh, that Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck a generous fire, secret and self-contained, 
and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in a grating voice. A frosty rime was on his head, on his eyebrows, and on his wiry chin. He carried his low temperature always about him. He iced his office in the dog days of summer and didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. If you've been with someone who tends to be judgmental, you know the iciness, the lack of love, the lack of grace that is present there. And it strikes me that there's a reason why this character and others like it have uh, become so entrenched in our culture. I mean, it's not just Scrooge that we find in Christmas classics that have this very stingy, very miserly personality. Here's a couple more. There's a Mr. Potter, remember from It's a Wonderful Life? He wants to just bankrupt big-hearted George Bailey. And of course, there's the Grinch, right, who hates Christmas. He hates the Who's. They have big hearts and love everyone. And yet, they love no one, it seems. I wonder, why, why is it that those characters, you know, strike such a chord with us? And I think it's because they really do identify or at least highlight something that is true about us as human beings. And that is that we, we have this tendency in our nature to hoard those things that that belong to us, we feel belong to us, like our wealth, like our possessions, and even our love. That it's difficult for us to open up our arms, open up our hearts to genuinely and selflessly love the people around us. See, it's one thing to, to read about characters like this or watch them on TV, but it's something else entirely when they exist in real life. Because a cold-hearted, judgmental person in real life wreaks havoc on the people around them. I mean, how many, how many people are there that are still tending to wounds from their childhood or from having grown up in a judgmental home, a harsh home? How many people even now, you know there's certain relationships or, or certain parts of your life where you're in a relationship with someone that where it's always condemning, it's always harsh, it, it tears you apart. Every time you're with this person, they tear you down instead of building you up. It's always sad to see people treated this way. But when it's done by someone who claims to know Jesus, it's more than sad. It's a travesty. It's, it's a crime of infinite proportion because it is a misrepresentation of Jesus himself. It's, it's completely missing the mark of who the church should be. And the sad truth is that many within the church over the years have taken on this cold and hard-hearted persona. That they've sat up high on some pedestal looking down, condemning everyone around them who is in sin. And what Jesus is making very, very clear is that that is not what it means to be his follower. That is missing the point completely because if you are a disciple of Jesus, that means you should have experienced his love and his grace, his big heart, his warm heart for all those who are in sin. In fact, you should be so filled with that love that you have much love to give to others. In fact, that's the imagery he uses. Uh, if you look in verse 38, he talks about this good measure. He says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Uh, so this image is one that the people there would have known right away. Uh, a measure would have been like a, like a clay pot when they go to the market to buy grain. They would have got a measure of grain. And a good measure is one where the person selling it, they made sure it's jam-packed. So they would, to do that, they would press down the grain in the clay pot. They would shake it to get out all the air pockets. And then they would heap on more and more so it's overflowing. It's a picture of abundance. 
of abundant grace from God. And if you notice, it's not, uh, it's not something that's given only once. It's something that's given, something that's given continually. As we experience the love of God, we then give unto others and we receive more from God. And so it's this continual cycle of blessing that is initiated by God and perpetuated through the grace of the Spirit in our lives. See, the, the truth is that we, we all begin with very cold, hard hearts, like in our sin. Before knowing Jesus, we, we don't love people around us well. We, we don't live up to the, to the moral standards we even set for ourselves. In our sin, we, are, we tend to be judgmental. We tend to be self-focused. But for those who have come to faith, we have experienced the grace of God in spite of our sin. That, that at some point, someone shared with us the gospel and said, look, every human being is born into sin. We all go our own way away from God. And what we most need is to be, is to be saved. And so the gospel is shared. That The bad news is you are in sin, but the good news is that God still loves you. That he sent his son, he showed his affectionate, sacrificial love because he sent his son to die on your behalf. That Jesus would take on our sin and be put to death to pay the penalty for our sin, but then be raised to new life to, to show us the hope that we have of life forever. And in that, there is a softening of our heart. The, the Bible says there is in fact a new heart that is given to us and a new life. So that now we, we don't live out of our own strength, our own meager love, but we, have, we are recipients of this immense love of God. And that then we are able to love the people around us. That's, I mean, that's the picture we're going to see with, with our baptism candidates. Those who are coming forward, they're saying, look, I've been changed. I, I, I recognize that I needed God, that in my sin I, was, I did not have a hope that would go beyond this life. But because of the love of Christ, I have come to faith. And that now I've been changed on the inside. And in their stories, you'll see that they talk not just about coming to know Jesus, but the effect it has had, the change that it has had in the way that they love others. This is what Jesus is saying should always be the case. If you were to follow him, if you were to be one of his disciples, then you, you have a wealth, a depth of love that is meant to be shown to others. So we should be quick to forgive, accepting of others, overlooking offenses, being gracious, but... I think if we're honest, we know that that's not always the case. And so a text like this is also designed for us to examine ourselves, to, to ask ourselves, you know, where is, it that, where is it that I'm judgmental with others? Where is it that I'm condemning with the people in my life? Where am I missing, just missing opportunities to really love people, to show the grace of God to them? How might God want to use me in that way? That's what it means to be a disciple, to have a big heart for the people around us. But not only that, that Jesus turns the corner then and says we are to, to be that, but we are also to lead people in that way. This is our second point. Followers of Jesus lead then with a clear heart. Uh, the parable he gives is this in verse 39. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And here the principle is pretty, pretty simple. If you're a teacher, right, you have a great amount of influence in the student that you're teaching. If you're a leader, the people you lead, you have a great amount of influence there as well, even within the church. 
The point is that in the community of faith, we are all being led by someone and also we have opportunities to lead others. It's not just the the pastor or the community group leader or the Sunday school teacher that leads. Because we are in relationship with others, we have an opportunity to speak into each other's lives, to help them, to help each other to grow in our faith. And in that way, we are all both followers and leaders. But the question is, where are we leading and who are we following? Because very clearly, there are blind guides. Uh, In the time of Jesus, they would have been the scribes and the Pharisees. Where they would have said, look, we, we know God, follow us, we'll lead you to God. And yet they missed the Messiah. They missed the, the promised Messiah. They missed Jesus. And they continued to lead people to salvation by works, telling them, look, if you just do enough good things, if you, you know, cleanse yourself of sin, then you will be able to get to heaven, which is a losing battle for those who are in sin. But even today, even today, there are blind guides. There are those um, Christian leaders or those well-meaning Christians who are misguided in their understanding of the Bible. They teach things that are unbiblical or watered down. And the danger, the warning for us is that we can be blind guides too. That if we're not careful, if we aren't aware of biblical teaching and examining our own selves, that, that we also can lead people astray. See, the mark of a true disciple is that a disciple of Jesus will always lead people closer to Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we ensure that we will not be a blind guide, that we will not lead people astray, but will lead them in the way that actually brings them closer to Jesus? Well, there's two ways that God helps us in that. Firstly, we have the Spirit of God. Look here in Ephesians 1.17. This is Paul speaking to a group of Christians, and he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The eyes of our hearts are enlightened, meaning the Spirit of God helps us to see what is true, gives us a clarity about our lives, the people around us, and especially the Word of God. That's the promise that when we come to faith, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell within us and gives us that clarity of mind and heart. The second thing, though, that we have is the Bible, the Word itself. Here's what we find in 2 Timothy All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You notice those words, reproof and correction, that's that's part of how we are to grow. That we will be corrected as we read the Bible, but also as we're doing life with others. That maybe our good friend will come and say, man, I've been reading this text. There's just something about it. I wonder if God has something for you in this. This part about bitterness, I don't know, just as... you know, I've noticed that that might be something, an, an issue for you. That, that is leading people well because it's in light of the word of God by, by the, the help of the spirit of God. But there's a third thing that's absolutely necessary. Something we find right at the end of our passage and that is that for us to lead people well, we need to examine our own hearts first. We need to do so from a point of humility. Here's the, the log and speck again. Verse 41, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck, take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So here again, this is Jesus telling us not, not to avoid pointing out sin, but look, if you're going to do it, you need to see clearly. 
need to have a clear mind and a clear heart. And that means you need to examine your own life and identify sin and confess that sin. Because one thing that sin always does is it always clouds our mind. It always clouds our heart so that we don't see ourselves clearly or the people around us clearly. So if we are to lead well, we need to examine ourselves. If we don't, there's going to be trouble. You maybe have experienced this as you've tried to speak into someone else's life, but you've done it not from a point of humility, but of pride. Things don't go well. I think there's at least three things that that could go wrong if you don't first stop and and from a point of humility, ask God to, to open your eyes to your own sin first. If you don't do that, you are going to be leading as a hypocrite, and there's problems with that. Number one, um, people in that position, we tend to be sometimes very harsh with the people that we are speaking uh, to. For example, parents in pointing out the sins of their children, very often if there's unresolved or unconfessed sin, we tend to be very harsh. We tend to almost, out of our own sense of guilt, speak into their lives and call them to a higher standard. That's, that's hurtful. It's not helpful. Sometimes the opposite is true, though. When we have unconfessed sin that we're ignoring in our own lives, we tend to ignore it in the lives of others. So we have friends, perhaps, uh, family, and we can see something that's, that's not right, and yet we don't say anything because we feel uncomfortable. Because we, we sort of know on some level that, you know, we've got sin we haven't dealt with, but we don't want to call out on someone else. We'd rather just stay quiet. That's not loving. It's not loving to allow someone to continue on in a bad pattern of life and not, not speak to it. The third thing that can happen, though, is that we might seem like we're doing a good job of like unpacking the, the Bible, of, of kind of helping people. Maybe there's a context where you're discipling someone or even a ministry leader who's, who's leading people. Seems like they're leading people faithfully. They're unpacking the word well. People are growing in their faith, and everything seems to be going great until the day when the leader's sin is exposed. When, when there's some moral failing, there's something that has not been confessed, they've not been honest, and their lack of integrity destroys the teaching. Everyone realizes all of a sudden that they're actually down in a pit, that the leader has, has dug and dragged other people in with him. Sadly, this happens in the church, where a pastor or ministry leader, it comes out after years of ministry that they're, they're in some sexual sin or some problem with money, and everything falls apart because they're hypocrites. You can't lead well. You can't lead faithfully. There's a blindness there that will only hurt people. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you're you're called to be helpful to each other. That's that's part of what it means to be a follower, that you will lead well, that you will be clear-sighted, clear-hearted. And to do that, you need to be confessing your own sin first. And that's really the call on each of our lives, to, to, to be honest about our own failings in humility, and then, from that point of clarity, then look for areas where perhaps God wants us to be useful. Here's what it says in 1 John, just about the whole area of, of sin and confession. Uh, 1 John 1, 8 to 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It's strong language, but it's also, you see, such gracious language that that God is saying again and again, look, sin is the issue for humanity, but my grace is sufficient. 
And that as followers of Jesus, we should have experienced that grace. That in, in our confession, in our acknowledging our sin on our knees or whatever posture we take, but in our own heart saying, Lord, I need you I, on my own. I, I can't do it. I need to receive that grace. And from that point, our hearts swell with, with the grace and abundant love of God. And at that point, then we can be most helpful to the people around us. We will have a love that is rooted in Christ's own love for us. And from that, we will have a big heart for the people around us and a clear heart so that when there's an opportunity to, to speak, not harshly, not quickly, but gently, graciously, really lovingly, that in that moment, God might do some good work in the people around us. We are now going to see living examples of this gracious work of God in the lives of those who are being baptized. We're going to have an opportunity to hear some of the, the testimonies. We're going to have that on video to start. And in that, we are going to hear people say, look, here's, here's where I was, and here God saved me, and now look at the change. And in that, we are witnessing here, here's what it means to be a disciple. Here's what it means to be truly changed. That in the love of Christ, our, our heart is changed and our lives are changed too. That we have a hope that goes beyond this life and a capacity of love that is much greater than we could ever imagine. So let me pray, and then we're going to uh, hear some testimonies, and then we're going to witness some baptism. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this word. Thank you, God, that this, Jesus, you're speaking to us as those who, who need to repent, uh, those who are tempted to be judgmental of others without first looking at our own hearts. God, I pray for each one of us. I pray, Lord, you would give us just a real um, willingness, a humility, Lord, to be on our knees and to ask you to search our hearts so that we might examine and be honest and faithful and receive your forgiveness. And from that, Lord, I pray that we would be most helpful in the lives of those around us. God, that we would not speak harshly, we would not be judgmental or condemning, but that we would reflect your own love for us. And God, that we would be uh, willing to at times speak out in, in confronting people in sin, but God, that we would do it from, from an immense love for the person and not for our own reasons. And God, I thank you for these uh, who are being baptized, I pray, God, just that you would be greatly honored in this and that we would be able to ge uh, genuinely celebrate and rejoice for what you've done in their lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hi, my name is Jude. I was baptized as a young adult. I claimed to be a Christian. I had asked Jesus into my heart, hundreds of times, but rather than becoming more conformed to Christ and maturing in my faith, I entered my adult years and walked in increasing rebellion to Him. I knew I was living contrary to the ways of God, but rather than repent and be set free from my slavery to sin, I became increasingly more sinful. To my shame and deep regret, I harmed myself and many others with my wicked choices. But God, who is rich in mercy, He saved me and rescued me out of my life of sin. He brought me to repentance and true faith 15 years ago. I was baptized in my youth, but I was not a Christian. I am choosing to be baptized again out of joyful obedience to my Savior and King. To God be the glory. Hi, my name is Anna. I have trusted in Jesus as my Savior. I want to strengthen my relationship with Him. I want to know His Word better, and I am choosing to follow Him all the days of my life. 
I'm getting baptized not only as another step in my walk with Christ, but he commands us to do it. Romans 6 verse 4 says, We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I'm excited to grow in my faith here at Tri-City Church. I am thankful for the opportunity to get baptized and I'm grateful for the people that God has put into my life. Thank you. Before I became a Christian, I was a stubborn atheist. I also was a sad human who struggled to see why I mattered and struggled with feeling worthless. I became a Christian this past spring after God gifted me with someone who showed me love and care and patience that I had never before experienced. After months of disproving my atheist worldview and the many misconceptions I had held about Christians, God brought me to faith by showing me in Romans 5.8 how He shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In that, God showed me just how much I mattered. Since becoming a Christian, I have faced struggles and backlash for my faith. But even when things are hard, even on days when I'm sad, knowing that I am chosen and precious and loved has allowed me to fight the lies I've always believed about myself, which really has saved my life. My name is Kev Glezes. I was born into a Christian family. While I was growing up, I had prayed to God, but I did not get who I was praying to. I was young, but I remember asking my dad, am I a Christian? He explained to me that to be a Christian, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he came to life three days later. Then I prayed with my dad to receive Jesus. Every day after that day, I began to know who I was praying to. I began learning how much Jesus loves us and how he made us by his own hand. I like to be baptized to express my faith and show people what Jesus has done in my life. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Hi, my name is Rebecca, and I would like to get baptized to publicly demonstrate my faith in Jesus Christ, both as an act of obedience and as an act of praise. Before I developed a personal relationship with God, I looked to worldly aspirations to give me a sense of worth and fulfillment. I felt my life was lacking direction. As my 16th birthday approached, I decided to fully experience a relationship with God, giving over my expectations, friendships, and my life. Now, through a personal relationship with God, I am able to look to Him for direction and put my worth in what He did for me on the cross. Psalm 32 verse 8 writes, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God is and always will be walking with me through life, instructing and counseling me. Thank you. Hi, my name is Cole. I was born on January 31st into a Christ-loving family and was taught about God from a young age. I started going to Lee Elementary School. Little did I know that my faith was shrinking. By third grade, I had nearly completely forgotten about God. That would have been the end if God did not have bigger plans for me. The next year, I started to go to BC Christian Academy. After a few months of learning more from the Bible and being reminded of all that Jesus did on the cross to save me from my sins, I decided to give my life to Christ. I have been walking with Christ ever since, and it has made me feel way better and more encouraged. I would like to leave you with this verse. Joshua 1 verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Shannon. I was adopted at birth and raised in a loving home. 
but growing up I often felt unlovable and that I didn't fit in. Throughout my life, I've been trying to fill the void through artificial and reckless means. Even though I've experienced profound loss, pain, physical violation, and marital abandonment with two babies to raise on my own, I am not faultless. Although I'm a kind and generous person, I've also been stubborn and selfish, and my actions and tongue through hurt, betrayal, and loss have led to broken relationship. Ten years ago, God called me back for the first time since my childhood. I've been humbled by the weight and responsibility of my sin, and slowly I've begun to trust in Him, He who loves, heals, and provides. Had I not lost so much, I'd not be able to appreciate all that He is. His undeserving sacrifice on the cross is the ultimate act of love. Today, I'm being obedient to the call of baptism through the symbolic act of repentance, forgiveness, and with His ongoing help, leaving my old ways behind. I am convicted that He is our Maker and ultimate authority. The verse that speaks most to me is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thanks, Tri-City, for welcoming me into the church family just as I am. Hi, my name is Mari, and I was raised with the understanding that being a good person and doing the right thing was enough in life. When I was in the last years of high school, my good life exploded. I found myself surrounded by a cloud of darkness and loneliness. That all changed when I met a new friend in college and I started to attend regular church services and young adults nights with her. About two years later, I began to listen more intently on Sundays, read my Bible more regularly and pray daily that God would speak to me. One morning when I was reading my Bible, it was made clear that Jesus came proclaiming a gospel of love and forgiveness in order to save me, a sinner. I surrendered my life to Jesus that morning I now have an overwhelming sense of peace knowing that Jesus will be with me through the good and tough times. A Bible verse that I often find myself drawn to is Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future.